Uh, I'm going to do something uh, this morning that I very seldom do. And, uh, you know, we've been in a, a study of the uh, book of Hebrews, and it's not very often uh, once in a study that I will divert from it. But I was just very compelled yesterday to do so when we concluded our men's conference, which was entitled uh, Mighty uh, Men of God. And in light of that, uh, again, just felt the compelling leadership of the Lord, I believe, to share this message on how God makes a mighty man of God, uh, not only because this will be a, a good conclusion for our men that attended the conference, uh, this message, as you see, will be applicable to every person uh, sitting here, but it does tie in to our Hebrew study last week, because in this study, we're going to be looking at David and how God prepared David for the throne that he had promised him. And you remember uh, last week, we said that what we as believers are destined for the throne. Uh, We're destined to reign and to rule with Jesus Christ. And we talked about in light of that, uh, how God uses adversity and difficulty to shape us for our destiny. So that when we ascend to that throne, uh, we would have developed the character of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, so that there will be a compatibility of rule. Of course, Him the King and and, uh, us His eternal uh, Queen to live with Him in eternal romance and to help Him govern and administrate uh, the universe. So like I say, this uh, evolves around uh, King David. You'll see there in the uh, title the historical background, and I will not have much time really to go into the Scriptures here, First uh, Samuel 18 through 22. So if you'd like to read the historical setting, there you have it in those verses. And then we will also touch on Psalm 34, 56, 57, and 142. What we're going to see is that after God had promised David the throne, he said, David, you're destined to reign, uh, then his world literally uh, began to fall apart or at least in time. You remember, uh, he was anointed by Samuel as a young lad. It was sometime after that that he had the encounter with the giant Goliath and uh, slayed him. And as a result of that, he was elevated to be a commander of the armies at a very, very early age. Uh, He uh, had become a national uh, hero, a man of renown, Uh, He had uh, not only developed a very high position, but a very prosperous lifestyle in light of uh, his position and the accolades that he was receiving. Uh, And it appeared that he was on his way to the throne. And then you know what happened. Uh, Again, his world fell apart as King Saul uh, turned against David. And David became a what? A refugee on the run, a fugitive on the run. And he had to flee into the Judean wilderness uh, to escape Saul's armies who were uh, chasing him. And we're just going to look at that portion of his life, realizing God was using this wilderness experience, uh, much of it spent living in a cave, uh, to prepare him for the throne. And in the same way, again, because we are destined to reign with Christ, God's going to use the adversities of this life to mold us and to shape us and prepare us for that uh, destiny. So look at the first thing that God does. In other words, 
When God says, okay, I'm ready to make this individual a mighty man of God or a mighty woman of God, uh, what is God going to do? And number one is God removes my crutches. God removes my crutches. Now, what is a crutch? Let me give you a definition. Uh, And you see it there in your sermon notes. A crutch is something I lean on for support which becomes a substitute for God. That's what I mean by a crutch. Something that I lean on for support that becomes a substitute for God. In other words, instead of looking up vertically to God for my help, I begin to look horizontally uh, to others or to other things to provide me the aid and the support uh, that I need. Now look at the crutches that God kicked out from under David just one after one as a result of him becoming this fugitive on the run. The first thing was his position. He lost his position as being commander. He lost all the prosperity and the wealth and the comfort that went with that and the accolades and the acclaim and the applause of the people. So he went from a national hero again uh, to sort of the uh, the scum of the earth, and this rebel, this uh, this outlaw, this criminal that Saul had branded him, and they were trying to chase him down to kill him. The next thing that he lost was his wife. Remember, he was married to Micah. You remember, Saul had developed a plot uh, to kill David in his home, and at least Micah, uh, his wife, stepped to the plate, and uh, w- and she was, of course, with Saul's daughter that was given to him after his battle with Goliath. And uh, she, she helped uh, him escape uh, that initial attempt to, uh, uh, to take his life. Uh, but we read from the Scriptures, from that point on, he never was reunited with, with Micah. So he lost that support. The third thing that he lost was his spiritual leader. It was interesting, once he uh, escaped that initial attempt, who did he run to? Exactly who you would think he would run to. He ran to Samuel. Samuel was his spiritual leader. Samuel was his spiritual mentor. And he ran to Samuel for support and for aid. But it didn't take long before Saul discovered where he was at. And and the word came that Saul realizes you're here, and he had to leave. And he never saw Samuel again. Samuel died uh, after... Uh, David had left before he could ever be reunited with him. So he loses his position. Uh, He gets separated from his wife. Uh, He loses contact with his spiritual leader and mentor. And then the fourth thing he lost was his closest friend. Uh, After he ran from Samuel, who did he go to? He went to Jonathan, Saul's son, who was his closest friend. And you remember that very tender moment that they had together uh, before uh, uh, David had to leave. And we know from the Scripture that David, uh, after that uh, short encounter with Jonathan, he never saw him again because Jonathan was killed in battle. And then look at the fifth thing that he lost, and uh, probably the most painful, and that was his self-respect. If you're familiar with the story, now now again, put yourself in this man's shoes. He's a very young man. You know, he's destined for the throne. His future looks bright. From his perspective, God is at work. He's, 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 he's moving, moving all these things together uh, where I will ascend to the throne. And then the bottom drops out. And like I said, he loses his position. He goes from a hero, hero to be a vil- villain. 
Uh, he's separated from his wife. He loses his contact with his spiritual leader, his closest friend. And he gets so down, if you're familiar with the story, so depressed that he says, I'll, fit, I'll be better off just going to Israel's enemies. So what the man does in his depression, and it's almost like a suicide wish. It'd be interesting to talk to David to see exactly what the mental processes were because he literally walks into the city of Gath, which was the capital of the Philistines. And do you know what he had with him when he walked in? He had the sword of Goliath, their champion, who he had killed and, of course, cut his head off. And, of course, when he walks into Gath, they see him, and, of course, they arrest him. They apprehend him. They, they put him in jail. And uh, they, they realize this is David. And this is our opportunity to extract our revenge and to uh, exterminate him. And uh, you remember how David escaped from that. He feigned madness. Uh, uh, Ambimelech was the uh, king. And when they brought him before him, he uh, feigned as if he was mad, if he was insane, was foaming at the mouth. And uh, Ambimelech said, this, you know, this guy's just a mad dog. He's not even worth killing. Just, just let him go. And then once he left Gath, he crawled into a dark, dingy cave in the Judean wilderness. Now, that's where that man was at that time. Now, look at the lesson to learn. The lesson to learn. Getting crutches kicked out from under you is frightening. That's a reality that we cannot escape. But let it cause you to lean on God, not look for another crutch. That's the lesson. You need to understand what God was doing in David's life. Now, David didn't fully understand this. He had to have been struggling with uh, unbelief and fear and anxiety. It's very obvious in light of the depths of his depression and that he would have a suicide wish, as I mentioned, to walk right into the capital city of the uh, Philistines. And often when we struggle with our adversity and uh, difficult circumstances come, and, uh, we, it's very hard for us to reconcile, reconcile our pain with an all-powerful God who loves us. And we begin to question, we begin to doubt, we begin to wonder, God, what are you doing? I mean, have you forsaken me? Are you even really there? I mean, is all this true? And that's where David is, and that's where we often we, but God is at work in the midst of all that. God is at the work. And God wants to get us to the place that when trials hit, when difficulty and pain hit, we're not looking horizontally, but we learn to look where? Vertically. We begin to look up to God for His grace. Look at uh, Psalm uh, 56, uh, these verses. David uh, wrote Psalm 56. Uh, the Scripture tells us, when the Philistines seized him in Gath. And notice... Through that experience, what he learned. He says, when I am afraid, what? I will put my trust in thee. When, in the great verse, when I'm afraid, I will put my trust in thee. See, God, what was God doing? Again, knocking those crutches out from under him, as painful, as fearful as it was, to stop David from looking this way to realizing that his true help was in the Lord God. Look at verses 9 and 11 from Psalm 56. This I know, that God is for me. In God, whose word I praise, in the Lord whose word I praise, in God I have put my trust. I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? 
Isn't it fascinating in verse 3, he said, he acknowledges that he was afraid. And he says, when I'm afraid, I'm going to put my trust in God. And then as he what? Turned his eyes off of his circumstances and put them on God, suddenly he begins to praise. He begins, hey, this is the all-powerful God. Nothing's impossible with him. And then he's able to say, I shall not be afraid. I mean, what can man do to me? God ultimately is in control. He's the one sitting on the throne. And see... That's where God wants to bring us, where we realize that God is much bigger than the size of our problem. And we need to ask ourselves, you know, what are you focusing on? Again, the size of the problem, the difficulty of the problem, the pain of the problem, or are you letting that push you towards God? Look at the uh, second thing that God did uh, that we've already alluded to in David's life. God will corner you in a dark cave of despair. Now, I hope you're really hearing. This is how God works. He's going to knock the crutches out. It's going to be painful. It's going to be frightening. And then He's going to put you in a cave of despair. And look at different expressions of this. It may be dark days of disappointment. And when I, mention, when I say disappointment, I, I mean when you hit a circumstance and you just can't figure it out. And, it, and it, from your perspective, it seems like God has failed you. God has failed you because He hasn't acted as you would have expected Him to. And so when He fails to act as you would expect Him to, you begin to struggle with the fear and the unbelief and the anxiety. Look at Job 30, verse 26. You see deep disappointment that Job experienced in his trial. He says, I hoped for happiness and light, but trouble and darkness came instead. I hoped for happiness and light. That was his expectation, but what was reality? Trouble and darkness could be dark days of distress, dark days of distress. Uh, look at Psalm 88, verse 18. Lover, friend, acquaintance, all are gone. There is only darkness everywhere. And often, not because God hates you, but because God loves you, because you're destined for the throne, and He wants to prepare you for that destiny and fashioning and molding you into the likeness of Christ, He's going to let you experience dark days of distress where it seems like you're abandoned, that there is no help anywhere, and that it's nothing but darkness everywhere. And believe me, when God gets you in that spot, He says, I got them right where I need them. It could be dark days of doubt, dark days of doubt. Look at uh, John twelve thirty five. this principle, the one who walks in the dark does not know where he's going. And we hit, can hit crossword, crossroads, we can hit situations, circumstances where we just don't have a clue uh, what to do and, uh, and where we're struggling with doubt. And let me tell you something, uh, when doubt is in play, that is Satan at work. Uh, God wants to deal with that doubt and bring you to a place of faith. It could be dark days of depression. Look at Lamentations chapter 3, verses 19 and 20. The thought of my pain is bitter poison. I think of it constantly. 
and my spirit is depressed. So again, David, destined for the throne. And what did God do? He allowed David's world to fall apart. He corners David in this dark cave of disappointment. And David knew deep disappointment. He knew deep distress. He had to have been struggling with with doubt. And we even see that reflected in many of his writings. And there was that darkness of depression that reflected the darkness of that cave that he would have been struggling with. Now, here's the big question, the million-dollar question, the next one in your notes. How long? And this is what we all won't answer. Well, how long will God keep me in the dark cave of despair? How long? Two answers. And here it is. And this is really the heart of this message. First answer is, until I get so low that there's no place to look but up. See, that's what God is doing. God will kick those crutches out. He'll use the disappointment, the distress, the struggle with doubt, and the depression to get you to a place where you're so low, you, know, you have nowhere to look but up. Where there's no point looking horizontally anymore. You realize it's fruitless, and you realize that your only hope is in God. Look at Psalm 142, these verses, which we're told in the Scripture was written while David was in the cave. He says, there is no escape for me. No one cares for my soul. See, he's realizing now, when you look horizontally, eventually, eventually you're going to come to a dead-end street. But notice... He doesn't stop there. He says, I cried out to thee, O Lord. I said, thou art my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Give heed to my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are too strong for me. Now see, God has David exactly where he needs David. So low he has nowhere to look but up. And because David was destined for the throne, he wanted to teach David faith to put his trust in God, to realize his only hope is in God. And that as he would put his trust and his hope in God, it's a God that will never fail him, that will be true to his promises, that will bring him to that throne, that will use him to have a mighty influence on others and the nation as well. Uh, Take your Bibles. Let me give you a good uh, New Testament example of this. Second uh, Corinthians chapter one. This is the Apostle Paul writing, <coughs> and I think it's important to remind us the Apostle Paul that we consider probably being the greatest Christian that ever walked on uh, planet Earth. Uh, this champion of the faith, this man of faith, hope, love, this man of prayer. Again, this this giant of the faith. And notice what Paul writes, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8. He says, For we do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction which came to us in Asia. He does not tell us what it is. It could have been his stoning. We just don't know. He says that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength so that we despaired even of life. Here's the apostle Paul, a man right in the middle of God's will. with a passionate love for Jesus Christ. 
being used mightily by God to plant churches and to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. But God allowed him to be burdened excessively beyond his strength. Where even Paul came to the place. He said, I despaired even of my life. I thought it was all over. This was it. But notice, he finally realized what God was doing. Look at verse 9. Indeed, we have the sentence of death within ourselves. Why? In order. Notice, there's cause. There's a purpose in all this. In order that we should not trust in ourselves, but in a God who raises the dead. So what God did in David's life, what he did in Paul's life, he is going to do in your life. He will allow trials, difficulty, and adversity to come upon you that will burden you excessively beyond your ability to where you will despair in order to teach you to not put your trust in self, to not put your trust in anyone that you would look to horizontally, but to put your trust in a God who raises from the dead. Look at the second answer to that question. How long will God keep me in the dark uh, cave of despair? Until exalting Christ becomes more important than escaping the cave. When exalting Christ becomes more important than escaping the cave. And God used this adversity to bring David to this place. David finally got to the place and he realized, I don't need to worry about escape. Again, God determines the outcome of my life. My responsibility is place my focus dead on Jesus Christ, dead on God. And Father, leave the outcome totally to Him. So, because God right now has me in this cave, Why expend the energy asking why? Why expend the energy in the flesh of trying to escape? I'm just going to blossom where God's planted me. I'm going to be a light in this dark cave. Notice Psalm 57, 11. And again, Psalm 57, we're told, was written while he was in the cave. And and actually, verse 11 uh, is a repeat of verse 5. Twice in this little psalm, he says, Be exalted above the heavens, O God. Let thy glory be above all the earth. He wrote that in the darkness of that cave. He came again to the place where he realized exalting Christ, exalting God, is more important to me than escaping this cave. So, God, I praise you. And I'm going to, be a, I'm going to again take root here. I'm going to blossom for you provide light for you. And in verse 7, this is not in your sermon notes, he says, my heart is steadfast. Oh, my heart is steadfast. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises. Look where God has brought him now. Initially, when the adversity hit, his world began to fall apart, disappointment, distress, despair, doubt, depression. Like I mentioned, it has this suicide wish. You know, I might as well just go to the enemies. You know, God's forsaken me. My people have forsaken me. And he's gone from there to now where now he can 
He's experiencing joy in the worst of circumstances. He's experiencing joy in the worst of circumstances. He's able with sincerity and authenticity to praise God. He's still in the cave. His circumstances have not changed. Realize, at this point, David does not know the end of the story other than putting his trust in God and knowing God would not fail him, that God would eventually bring him to that throne. But he realized God's going to do this in his own way, in his own time. I don't have to worry about how he does that. I just need to keep my eyes fixed on him, to become like him, to honor him, to glorify him, to be a light for him where he has placed me. Now look at the lesson to learn. Very important lesson. Don't confuse the darkness of the cave for God deserting you, but instead that God is cornering you to capture you. That's what's going on. See, we get in that uh, dark cave And again, we struggle, just like David struggled. And God recognizes the frailty of our humanity, and He loves us in the midst of our struggle. He loves us in the midst of this whole process. He never abandons us. That's the one guarantee you have in life, that God loves you, and His love will never fail you, never let you go. But again, as I've mentioned many times from this pulpit, it's not going to let you off either. He's in the business of of preparing you for your destiny to reign and rule with Jesus, to make you like your Lord, like your master, like the bridegroom. So again, there can be that compatibility of rule between the king and his bride, uh, his, his church. So don't confuse the darkness of the cave for God. Desert, but what God, He's cornering you. He's cornering you to capture you. He, he's cornering you to get you to that place where you do have nowhere to look but up where you come to the place and you're able to say with sincerity, God, my only concern is is exalting you. It's not escaping. It's not that I, again, let's be honest. It's not that he didn't want to escape the cave. He was still looking for all those opportunities. It's just a change in focus. Now he's not looking hard. He's looking up. He's letting God determine how it's done, when it's done. And he's just trusting God to fulfill his promise and to glorify Him. Look at the third, third truth. And this is a beautiful one. And this is what God, of course, is ultimately after in it all. God transforms the cave into a crucible to produce champions for Christ. God transforms the cave into a crucible to produce champions for Christ. Uh, this verse is not in your notes. We actually alluded to it last week. Let me share it with you. First Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. It says, In this you greatly rejoice. What do you rejoice in? Even though for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed. There's stress. The depression, the doubt, the struggle by various trials. Now, why, why would you rejoice in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of struggle, midst of hurt and pain? He says, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You know, Paul, uh, Peter is referring to the uh, process that the ancient goldsmith would go through to purify a crude bar of, uh, of, of, of ore, gold ore. He, he, would, he would put that in a crucible. He would heat that thing up, and, of course, it would melt that, that uh, crude bar of gold. And because gold is a heavy metal, what? All the impurities rise to the top. And that old, that old agent goldsmith, he had a scooper-like deal, 
And as those impurities would rise, he would scoop them off the surface of the uh, melted liquid. And do you know when the ancient goldsmith knew he had pure gold? When he could look into the face of that melted gold and see his face reflected. And see, that's what God is after in our lives. He lets us get into that dark cave to bring up all the impurities. I mean, again, let's be honest. I'm just speaking out of experience here. You know, difficulty hits. God has me in that cruise. What's he doing? He's bringing out all the stinking unbelief in my life. He's bringing out my fears. He's bringing out my insecurities. He's bringing out my anxieties. He's bringing out my misplaced value systems. He's dealing with my sin. He's just bringing all that up. Again, not because he hates me, not because he's destroying me, but he's refining me. Listen to this uh, great verse out of, uh, out of Job. If you want to write down the reference on the side of your uh, notes, it's uh, Job uh, 23, verses 8, 9, and 10. And, of course, you know the story of Job. Uh, no man uh, suffered the intensity of suffering like this man over a long period of time, and this is what he wrote. He says, Behold, I go forward, but he's not there, and backward, but I cannot perceive him. When he acts... On the left, I cannot behold him. He turns on the right. I cannot see him. What is Job saying? He says, I'm right now in a dark cave. I can't see God. I can't perceive God. Everything's clouded by my pain and perplexity and the circumstances and the difficulty. But he didn't stop there. But he says, but he knows the way I take. I may not can see him, but he sees me. And he loves me. And then he says, when he has tried me, I shall come forth as gold. Even Job had a basic understanding what God was up to in his pain and his suffering to refine him uh, in his life. Now, notice that next statement in your note. God brings others into my cave so I can teach them what God taught me. This is what God's at. See, God's not after just molding and fashioning you. He has a purpose for you. He wants you to influence others. He wants you to bring others to Christ. He wants you to impact believers, to take them deeper in their walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. So now what God does, now He has me where, exactly where, where I need to be. You know, I'm, I'm so low, I have nowhere to look but up. I've come to the place where the most important thing to me is not escaping this adversity, but exalting the Lord uh, Jesus Christ. I've I've, I've known that crucible. I've known that refining fire. And God's beginning to do that work. And now God said, okay, now you're ready to influence others. Now I can trust you with my work. Now I can trust you with my ministry. Now I can trust you to ascend to that throne because now you have the character that's going to be needed to accomplish what I've called you to do. Because never forget, beloved, that in Christian ministry, in the Christian life, power is always dependent upon purity. And if you're going to know power, if you're going to know influence and impact, you've got to go through the process of being purified. Look at 1 Samuel 22.2. Notice what happened. And everyone who was in distress, and everyone who was in debt... And everyone who was discontented gathered to him. What a, what a group. And he became captain 
over them. He became captain over what? A group of disgruntled folks that are in debt, and they're at the bottom of, of, of life. And he became captain over them. Now, there were about 400 men with him. You know, I love 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4. Just jot down that reference. 2 Corinthians 1, 4 says, God, don't miss this now, God comforts us in all our troubles. Now, why does God comfort us in our troubles? So that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we are able to give them the same comfort God has given us. And that's exactly what happened. God refined this young man, David. And then he said, I can trust you now. And then he began to bring these individuals to him. They're at the bottom rung of life. Look at uh, Psalm 34, 8 and 11. This psalm uh, was also written during this time of David's life. And, And could you see David? in front of these 400 individuals that are struggling, that have come into the... And and now, now he's the teacher. God had taught him many lessons through his... Now he has the opportunity to teach. And notice, he's up there and he says, Oh, men, listen to me now. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed, men, is the man who takes his refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints... For to those who fear him, there is no want. There's no lack. They who seek the Lord shall not be in want of any good thing. Come, you children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. And then look at that next statement. Those 400 men, you know who they became, of course. David's mighty men of valor. Incredible story. He took these guys at the bottom of life. And as a result of what God did in David's life, he was in a position to teach. And he shaped these men into those mighty men of valor. And you can read of their tremendous exploits in the Scripture on the battlefield and in life in, in general. And, uh, and that could have never happened if God had not taken David through this. Now, here's the lesson to learn as we close. Here's the lesson. When God brings me to the end of myself... It's to transform and use my life, not end it. When God brings me to the end of myself, or you can put there whatever trial you're going through right now, whatever difficulty in terms of health, in terms of relational problems, in terms of financial issues, whatever the circuit, you might put whatever. God's purpose is not to destroy me, but is to transform me to use me. Now, as we end the message, I think the basic question is, are you willing to come to that place of total surrender? Now, listen to me, where you can say to God, God, right now, I want to give you absolute freedom to arrange the circumstances and the relationships in my life in the way that you deem best to serve your purposes. Now, that, that surrender, it just starts you down the path. Realize, you can't escape this process. This is going to be the reality for every believer 
Because, again, we're destined for that throne, and he's in the business of molding us and shaping us into the likeness of Jesus. But he does want you to cooperate with the process. He wants you to believe him, to trust him. And hopefully, in this message, you've seen how God works. Because many times, as believers, because we don't understand, when these types of things come into our lives, we do begin to question God. We do begin to doubt. And hopefully, you've seen, no, wait, I understand now. God is, is at work. He's at work in my life. And so, Lord, I don't understand, but thank you. That's why the Scripture says what? In everything, give what? Thanks. It doesn't, it doesn't say give thanks to God for everything, but what? In everything. Big difference. And why would I give thanks in everything, in, in sickness or difficulty or adversity? Because vertically, I'm keeping my eyes on God, and I know He's not going to fail me that nothing can touch me, that He can't work for my good to fashion me and mold me into the image of Jesus Christ. So as we enter a time of invitation, I would encourage you as believers, just quietly right there at your pew, in your heart, say, God, forgive me for railing against you. Forgive me for my doubt. Forgive me for my unbelief, my fear, and my anxiety. And, and Lord, you know that just because I'm praying this now doesn't mean... I'm going to leave here and never have fear, doubt, anxiety again. But I do realize what you're doing. And God, here I am. I do want to be captured, conquered by you. I do want to give you the freedom to arrange my life in the way that you deem best. I'm going to leave the outcomes to you. And I'm going to focus just on you. And becoming like you. And of course, if you're here and you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ, before God can make you to be that man or woman He desires you to be, uh, He has to have you. He has to possess you. And so we would encourage you uh, to follow the Lord Jesus Christ through the obedience of faith, uh, to open your heart to receive Him as your Lord, as your Savior, realizing on the cross He paid for the penalty of your sin and He rose again so that He could forgive you this morning, so that He could love you, and in loving you, fashion and mold you into the likeness of Jesus Christ. Yes, through the difficulties in this world, but knowing that you're destined, what, for a glorious future to rule with Christ. Please stand as the invitation is extended.